We're in Galatians chapter 3, going to read from verses 10 through 14, Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. For as many as are the works of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Understanding Paul's view of the law of Moses has been written about by many commentators. I came across the word complex quite often or the phrase, very complex, or the phrase, fraught with difficulty. It has been described as like trying to put together a jigsaw puzzle with a large number of pieces for which some of those pieces are missing, and the box top with the picture of the puzzle you're trying to put together is lost. You don't know what the puzzle's supposed to look like when you're done. Yet, what Paul says about Israel and the church, what he says about salvation history and the Christ event, his incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, what he has to say about anthropology, the study of man, what he has to say about eschatology, all of these things are linked to his view of the law of Moses. Now normally I tend to follow the admonition of one of my seminary professors who said, be a slave to your text. But there are times when I think that we need to open up to a larger biblical context before we can look at the individual verses of the particular text. And I believe that this discussion of the law, what some call the Torah, the law of Moses, behooves us that we look at the larger context in order to try to understand what Paul's understanding was of the law of Moses. He mentions the law, or uses the word law, nomos, or nomos in Greek, 32 times in Galatians. And we have the issue of the agitators, those Jewish believers, as I can understand that they apparently were, but who said that one must observe the Torah, in order to secure their place within the people of God. And here you have this young church, this 
church that's not too far from the beginning of the church from that time of Pentecost, these young believers in their very early stages of the Christian life who are trying to understand, so what are they saying? What are we to do? And Paul, speaking to them about the error that they are about to follow. The perennial question, one of the authors, uh, Brian Rossner, says, is, quote, the relationship between the grace of the gift of God in salvation and the demand of God in the call of holy living. On the one hand, we say we are not under law but under grace. It is the gift of God, not the work of man. And yet, has God rescinded what he has said throughout Scripture in various places? Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. There are three theological positions, I believe, that are, exist on what was Paul's view of the law. I grew up as a Lutheran, and I had never really heard Lutheranism explained this way, but I think, to me, it's more of the modern Christian American church view, is that Christ abolished the law, and the law's role is to lead us to seek God for mercy, since we despair of having any hope of obeying him and living a life of obedience to him. The Reformed view, and again, these are written succinctly, but salvation is by grace alone. But once saved, we please God by obeying the moral laws. And then, and it was new to me about 10 to 12 years ago, but I think it's been around for now maybe 50 years or so, the new perspectives on Paul says that the problem for Paul, particularly here in Galatians, is, is not salvation by faith versus salvation by works, but the issue was Jewish believers were using the law to exclude the Gentiles from the people of God from the fellowship table, from the fellowship of believers. But our challenge is to search the scriptures carefully, as it always is, but to try to understand not only what Paul does say about the law, but to understand what Paul does with the law. Not just reciting, well, he says this, this, and this, but what does he do with that? How, in other words, how does the law relate to living as a Christian? To living the Christian life and pleasing an almighty, holy God. Specifically, what, what gives us trouble in putting this puzzle together? Again, I think Rossner writes it in a way that kind of puts some of my confusion into a single sentence. 
He says, the crux of the problem of Paul and the law is the fact that his letters present both negative critique and positive approval of the law. On the one hand, we read in Romans chapter 7, uh, he says about the law, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Sounds like positive approval. But we read, as we have read here in Galatians 3, verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. And we tend to take those verses as a puzzle. On the one hand, presenting the positive, the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. And on the other hand, the law brings with it a curse. This morning I would like to examine two thoughts, again, just overview, but take us back to the thoughts of the Old Testament in the eyes of those of Israel. What does the law do? But also look at what the law doesn't do. To an Israelite, in the context of the trappings of the tabernacle and the, the temple and all of the paraphernalia of worship, the law was the treaty, the sovereign treaty of the great king. It was the instrument by which God expressed to the people his kingly rule over Israel. The king promised to care for and bring blessing and bring benefits to his people. But we also see within the law where the people say to God that we pledge our loyalty. We will do these things. We pledge our obedience to the king. The law brought a, a structured order to the lives of the people of Israel. The symbol of God's creation creating something out of nothing, something out of chaos, and bringing order and expressing himself as creator over his creation. So the statutes brought an orderly system of rightness, of righteousness, of fitness, of regularity to their lives. But it also expressed judgments for disobedience, as well as rewards for obedience. But in that order, what is still, to me, quite amazing is that it opens a personal communion with God Almighty. Because the law expresses his character. It is what reveals who God is to his people. And so this direct communication between God and Moses and giving the law symbolizes that his presence was with them. His presence not only in the, the symbol of, of the cloud of fire by day and by night, but his presence in the tabernacle, the place where God would meet with his people. 
And the tabernacle itself was designed to house the instructions of the law. That is where the law was placed. And the tabernacle signifies here is God offering reconciliation and communion with himself. So there was a, a, a way, an instrument, a, an order, a direct communication from God himself. But importantly, the law not only brought order out of chaos, but life out of non-life. God revealed himself as the source of life, but disobedience to that God results in death. True life comes from God True living means fellowship with him. The words that echo in my mind from the law, I will be your God and you shall be my people. The law was given for a specific time. The law was given to accomplish great purposes. And Paul will outline some of those in chapter 3 of Galatians 15 through 25. But I came across kind of a little summary of the law that kind of helps me to think about what does the law point to? How do we kind of conceptualize the law in, in a simple way? Uh, in some writings from a man by the name of Vern Porthress. He says the law points backwards, the law points upwards, the law points outward, but the law also points forward. The law points backwards to original creation. God is the creator. God has brought order out of chaos. It also points back for the people of Israel to redemption to that time when they were brought out of bondage in Egypt. But it points upward to himself, to the holiness, to the majesty, to the awesomeness of Almighty God. But it points outward. It points to the people of Israel. It points them to a standard of living to which they must conform. But the law points forward to its own fulfillment, to its own embodiment where it will be fulfilled and complete. But there are things that the law also does in a negative way, and there are things that the law cannot do or doesn't do. Paul quotes in four verses, he quotes from four passages of the Old Testament in this text that we will examine in hopefully in some depth next week. But the law, he says in verse 10, brings people under a curse. The key thought in Deuteronomy that he quotes, Deuteronomy 27, is that key continued enjoyment of God's blessings depends on the people's faithful obedience 
to the law of Moses. There's a dependency there. There's a cause effect there. Humans, human beings, locked under sin, unable to obey the law of God naturally, stand condemned by that same law. The law cannot deliver on its promises. In Romans 7, again, we read Paul. It is almost you, you, you hear his voice saying, you know, I had to understand what this was. He's speaking, yes, in verse 12, of the law as holy and righteous and good. But just before that, he said, this law, this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. And I believe, and there are those who would disagree with this, but in verse 12 of the passage that we read from Galatians 3, he quotes from Leviticus 18.5. He says, The law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. And there are some translations who take that to be he who practices the law shall live by shall live keeping them or live by them but if we take that i believe to what the jews actually read what they actually believed and i think there is evidence in the other scriptures to say it literally means he who practices them shall live by them he shall live by keeping them He's speaking of eternal life. He is speaking of living rightly before God and being accepted by God. And that is why I think that is, it's so foundational that we understand that Paul is saying the law cannot deliver on that promise. He says this commandment. It was to result in life to me, eternal life, salvation, has become death for me. The law cannot rein in sin. It cannot pull it back. In Romans chapter 5, we read that passage where we read the part where sin increased, did grace much more abound. But if we go on, we read this, where sin increased, Sin reigned in death. Sin cannot reign in. Our law cannot reign in the sin. Where there is sin, death reigns. The law is a failed path. In Romans 2... Paul's asking these as rhetorical questions, but I think you can understand that he is coming at them not by stating directly and accusing, but he is saying with a question. In verse 22 of Romans 2, he says, You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? 
he's saying, you say that you have life by the law. But you're lawbreakers. We can all see that. Are you not dishonoring God by thinking that you have life in the law? But what is the path that prevails? What is the path to life that wins? Paul explains in Romans 10, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. We need to understand the law in order to understand fully Paul's view of the law and how he applies the law. Because it is not a dichotomy. It is, it is not something that is totally opposite. That the law is holy and righteous and good, but the law for those who would keep it for life brings death. On May 6, 1937, a Chicago radio journalist who reported for station WLS out of Chicago, a man by the name of Herbert Morrison was sent to Lakehurst, New Jersey to cover the landing of the Grand Zeppelin, the Hindenburg. It had left on May 3rd, crossed the Atlantic, crossed over New York City in a majestic flight that had awed the country and as Herbert Morrison was relating to the radio audience the landing of the ship and coming to the mooring mast, it suddenly burst into flames. And as he reported, and you can listen to the audio and see the video that accompanied that later on YouTube, but he said these words, it's smoke and it's flames now and the frame is crashing to the ground, not quite to the mooring mast. Oh, the humanity. And all the passengers are screaming around here. And he apologizes to those listening because his voice is cracking and he has to turn, he has to avert his gaze because it is so horrible. Morrison's meaning, oh, the humanity, has been used in various situations. I don't watch The Simpsons, I never have, but it was used on several episodes, apparently in cartoons and comedy, situation comedies, and is usually used in what people think is a humorous way. But Morrison's meaning was probably, oh, what terrible human suffering. Ninety-seven people were on that ship, 62 of them actually survived and were pulled from the flames, some horribly maimed and burned. And as he witnessed that, he had that cry, Oh, the humanity. And here in this setting, I'd like to remind you of the seriousness of the situation according to Paul. I believe that I hear in Paul, oh, the humanity. What terrible human suffering. Galatians 3, 10 through 14 says, Understanding the law and faith 
is a matter of life and death. Failure to do the law leads to a curse and death. Faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus leads to life. Now that is a paradox. The law is a matter of doing. Faith is a matter of believing. But we would ask ourselves these questions. Can works ever be the basis for entering a relationship with Almighty God? Can human doing ever be the basis of eternal salvation? So what is the larger context of this puzzle that we encounter in Galatians 3? The law was meant to lead to life. Instead, it led to death. But the gift of salvation is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask... As we sang earlier this morning, let your truth prevail. Let it crowd out unbelief. Let it crowd out contention. Let it crowd out confusion. Let it crowd out every wind of doctrine and false teaching. Father, test our hearts, test our minds, test our understanding that we may have true joy and faith in believing, in worshiping you in spirit and truth. Build your church, Lord, and make her a holy, set-apart bride, fully washed and prepared to give glory and honor to her Lord and King. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please rise for the benediction. From Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death.